Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Marius Barnard. Welcome, Marius. Hi, Amy. It's great to be on the show with you. I'm very excited to dive into what it is that is your driving force. But first, what is it that you're focusing on at the moment? At the moment, I'm really focusing on executive coaching and a program that I deliver called Positive Intelligence. I've been a tennis coach for the last 20 plus years. And in the last sort of five years or so, I've, I've migrated into that. And um, there's obviously a lot of overlaps between tennis coaching, business coaching, life coaching. I, th- I think the things that I bring is that the, focusing on the mindsets, people how to perform better, uh, how to deal with stress better, and also to improve their relationships. So yeah, that's that's what I'm currently doing. I uh, This year I have uh, enjoyed doing workshops. Uh, I often use the positive intelligence uh, model to help businesses with teamwork and um, just finding out what makes people tick, you know, what are their strengths and also what are the th- sort of habitual habits that sometimes holds them back from uh, delivering their best. Now the tennis court is a, a strange arena because it's an intensive lonely place if you're playing singles and and again i'm sure in doubles you've just got you've got that one other person that you're with to help you through this how does it translate the lessons that you've you've taken away into its business and into life yeah from from point of being singular i think the first thing as a tennis player you have to sort out is your own mind and uh, you're a coach you've worked with lots of people and it often comes back to that, doesn't it? Not the people around me are doing this or doing that. It's that self-regulation. And can you manage how you're going to react uh, with certain circumstances? So, um, and that's the one thing I've learned early on in my career, controlling your emotions. I think that's such a really important thing in tennis. And, um, you know, also also in life, uh, the example I had was when I um, had 17 match points squandered when I was 16 years old. And um, I had to still uh, go on and play a match the day after or later on that afternoon. And we, we did win the overall team uh, competition. But that's the moment when I realized it. If you can't get over the line and you had 17 match points, you got to do something differently. And um, that's when I started reading The Inner Game of Tennis. And um, literally a month later, 
I had one of the best tournaments um, in my junior career, and that gave me a uh, an entry into junior Wimbledon and an air ticket to London as a winning prize because I won the uh, national grass court championships. But applying those uh, things that I, I read in the book, which was being more non-judgmental, but the key thing for me was staying in the moment. I trained myself to be in the present moment only and not think about the consequences of, oh, I'm at match point. If I win this, then this will happen, that will happen. Because it, it just gets you away from the process that you need to be focusing on. So I trained myself to just focus on that process of that moment. So every point I said, I'm just going to think, what do I need to do now to win this next point? And I almost lose the significance of it a little bit because um, I'm a, a bit of a, in, in positive intelligence terms, I'm a hyperachiever. So you focus really intently on your goals and your goals matter to you. And the, the negative side of that is if you get too anxious about reaching those goals and wanting to get there before you're there, then you take your eyes, so to speak, off the ball because the outcome becomes so important. And it also creates a lot of stress and nerves because if you don't do it, then you feel you're going to lose out. So it's, it's actually that fear of not converting the big point. You're letting things, uh, uh, letting things slip out of your hands. You know, it's not a very nice feeling if you, if you have something in your hands and it, it's taken away from you or, or you lose it. And um, so it, it really helped me to, to also be more positive, to forget about my mistakes. Just, I said to myself, just analyze the mistake. If, if there's something you can do differently next time, great. If there isn't, move on straight away. But I, I really taught myself how to just stay in the moment to the point where I, when I played in the finals of a tour event five years later against the same player, I didn't know when I won match point. I didn't know it was match point. And it was in the tie break in the third set. I knew it was close. I knew it was important. But when I hit that final winning shot, I didn't know that that was the moment that we won the title. Um, and so, and I was a lot more relaxed than actually thinking ahead. And so you were talking about singular. Of course, I played a lot of doubles. Um, I, I, I tallied up the other day. I think I've played with more than 30 players in my career, 30 different partners. So that can be good or bad. <laughs> um, and, and, people from more than 15 different nationalities. So um, it's, uh, you, you learn a lot from uh, trying to adapt and be flexible, uh, playing with people from different backgrounds. And you learn quickly that there's no advantage or no benefit in criticizing them or telling them to do this or that. You, you, you're all professionals, you've put in years of training and you just try and get the best out of each other. So it's sort of trying to find that motivation uh, that will make you tick as a team because uh, the, the commitment is fairly obvious because you're trying to, to win and, and earn some money if you're a professional. Uh, and, and different from football and other sports, in tennis, if you don't win, you, you don't get paid or you get paid very little. So they there is a, a natural incentive, but that, that also doesn't um, guarantee that you're always going to be totally committed. Um, I, I had a partner uh, that I played with for quite a long time that 
wasn't that as committed as I was uh, on the practice court, etc. Uh, and then I had other partners that uh, you know used to work just as hard and and were just as committed. So um, it, it it really depends uh, on the personality, and and then you need to figure a way out to 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 make them play at their best. Uh, sometimes it's just a little bit of humor to relax somebody, or um, sometimes they need a bit of uh, motivational chat. Um, yeah, we had a few of those over the years. But I think singularly, uh, I think that that ability to sort your own mind out and, and deal with the uh, emotions uh, also help you to to help others to do the same. Uh, because, you know, whether you're in a, in a business scenario or uh, dealing with conflict or so on, it, it's always important to get your own mind sorted before you go into that um, sometimes cauldron. And why tennis? What led you into this sport? I mean, there's lots of other things I'm going to pick on, but just that question first. My my dad enjoyed playing tennis, but um, it could have easily have been rugby. As a, as a youngster, that's all I wanted to do was play for my country. And uh, I had an older brother and he played rugby as well. And we were always, in fact, I think I was about five or six and we used to play touch rugby on a sort of a common piece of land uh, and uh, against the neighbors and that was my dream to play rugby and and in in primary school uh, i ended up being the rugby captain and um yeah uh, it's it's a bit like football over here in a way it's um that's what every young kid wants to do well not every but <laughs> those who are into sport and then uh, but the tennis developed at the same time but the rugby was more my focus. And I was fortunate that at my tennis club where my dad played, three other players who also later on, two of them became top 100 players. We were all competing against each other. So we had that camaraderie, that um, sort of uh, peer group of, yeah, I want to do better than him or, you know, we're competing against each other. And so that spurred us along to, uh, even though I wasn't totally focused on the tennis, I came across uh, th these players and, uh, you know, for a while, uh, I think up until about 12, 13, I never got past the quarterfinals in our regional uh, tournament because I, I always met one of these guys and lost. But then uh, when I, shortly after that match point incident, uh, when I won the National Grass Court Championships there and, and got the ticket to Wimbledon, that's when I thought, well, let's concentrate on on tennis. It coincided with rugby going from under 16 to under 19. So um, it was a sort of a, the, the, uh, we had a very good team under 14, 15, which was rare for my school. We were unbeaten. And so there was a really good spirit there. But then that team got broken up because when you move from under 16 to 19, uh, people sort of go their own ways. So, so that was, a, a, the timing was good in that sense. Uh, and then I just started focusing on tennis. And, uh, and my dad was always supporting me and he really wanted me to to focus more on tennis. Um, he was always talking about injuries and uh, <laughs> um, I think from his own experience. So he was keen for me to do that. But that wasn't the, um, you know, the reason why I focused on tennis. Uh, I think the fact that I had quite a lot of my friends at that time playing tennis and I played doubles with them, I played against them. Uh, it was kind of an enjoyable circuit to be involved in. So if that wasn't the reason why, what was the reason why? 
the reason why I chose tennis. Hmm. Um, I mean, I love competition. Uh, I love sport. And I think, obviously, it's a singular sport, as you said. You have to sort out your own mind. And I, and I like that competition. Um, I wouldn't say I'm competitive to the point that I must win at everything. Uh, but I, I, I really enjoy close competition. I can remember playing sort of rugby, touch rugby in, in the park. And when if we were winning too easily, I would sort of move people around and say, right, you know, just to even things up. Because I, I really like a tough, close fought sort of competition rather than... Um, but, you know, tennis, I was obviously doing very well in it. So so I just followed that that path. Uh, at school, I... I was quite interested in becoming an architect. So uh, I wanted to do that. If I, if I went to university, that's probably what I would have done. Uh, you know, I had art at school and I sort of three-dimensional drawings and things I, I enjoyed. Um, but um, yeah, because I started doing well at that point when I finished my high school, um, I then went into the army who gave us lots of opportunities to play and, and then went straight onto the circuit after that. So your route to where you are now, you, you've talked about understanding a mindset and, and how being positive, staying in the moment, more relaxed and understanding how you've been able to deal with your emotions, how you've been able to adapt, be flexible, get the best out of other people that you're playing with and use humor to relax others and, and motivation. There's all these elements that have come from the sport. What is it that I'm I'm missing here? There's there's I feel like there's something that you're not sharing almost. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, in in what sense do you mean, Amy? The the well, why of what what's making me tick kind of thing, or well, I just I just wonder because you seem so sorted at such a young age, and it was like that. Is there a, has there been a, a, just a natural evolution? Has this been an easy ride for you all the way through? Yeah, it. I mean, I can't really complain. Things have been fairly uh, straightforward in a way. Obviously, when I started playing, I kind of then left the country, left South Africa. Uh, I met my wife uh, over here probably about three years into my career. Uh, and then I, I, I settled here. I think then moving on from that, so I had 13 years on the tour, uh, which which I really enjoyed. And then making the transition after that, that was also not such a difficult thing for me. I think I probably ended my career prematurely by a few years because uh, my daughter was four, she, she went to school, so we couldn't travel so much. And I, I just had a, a spell of about three months where I weren't doing very well. And so I thought maybe this is the time after 13 years that that's enough. We, we At that time, we didn't know that you could play for about uh, 25 years like Roger Federer uh, or Djokovic. And, and I think that the next thing was then I obviously became a coach and I was a, a manager of coaches here at, at David Lloyd. And I think during that time when we, we had my daughter and then seven years later, eight years later, my twin boys, at that point, I probably wasn't doing what I wanted to really do in, in coaching, in the sense of coaching, because uh, the, the, I wasn't working with, um, you know, uh, top players. And for me, it was always about the mental side. So when I um, 
had the incident with the, the match points, obviously I started reading on the psychology and I've always just read books on people's lives, autobiographies, um, psychology. And then I went on to study business psychology, um, business management with a focus on business psychology, organizational psychology, which really interests me. And when I was coaching, even though I w- was just doing tennis coaching, the, the mental side was always the big interest for me because um, even when I watch rugby or any sport, I, I always want to know why is that person performing well or what's happened to that team? Why are they not performing well? And I could always, I always try to predict before a game how well people are going to play because of what happened before. And you can see this a lot in, in for instance, rugby, where a team plays really well one week and then it's sort of almost like a, a backlash from the other team. I, I'm talking about international rugby, uh, where they come back. And uh, you, you probably don't get that so much in, in, in tennis, but um, that really interests me. Why did those guys, why were they able to lift themselves? Why were these teams, you know, the, the psychology of why did the English football team, uh, the, the, the female team, why did they do so well? You know, what was the, the psychology behind that? Those are the kind of things that, that really interest me. And I'm always looking from that point of view. And so I guess then you start analyzing people and um, sometimes predicting right, rightly or wrongly what they're going to do next. Um, and uh, I think that got me into that, that coaching, the mindset, figuring out what is it that makes people tick and um, you know, how can you help them? Because Often people don't perform. It's not because they don't want to perform. It's because there's something holding them back. You know, whether it is that fear of letting a lead slip or it's the fear of not performing as well as I did last week. And, and you see those swings in, in, as I say, even in international rugby where one team really performs well because they did so badly the week before. They get really motivated. So so that that really interests me. and. Uh, and I want to help other people to, you know, with that. So if, if you sort of work out what in their mindset is holding them back, uh, and then you try to change that. And, and as you know, Amy, through coaching, it's not that easy for people to change. Uh, you know, it, it takes a bit of hard thinking and, and then changing the habitual ways. And, um, and that's why I, I found positive intelligence so interesting because you're looking at habitual ways that people behave. And if we overuse that strength, those strengths we have, then it can sometimes work against us. You know, whether you're a perfectionist or whether you're overly irrational, you know, um, if we overuse those strengths, it it can sometimes start working against you. And I wasn't always aware of that. Um, I certainly wasn't aware that, my, um, you know, top uh, saboteur was hyperachiever or the second one was pleaser. <laughs> uh, you know, then I've got the avoider and the hyperrational. Um, and and they, there's, a, there's an interesting mix how they sometimes under circumstances come to the top. So, um, yeah, that, that really interests me. And this is what, what I'm helping people with at the moment. And, and it's sometimes surprising. Sometimes they kind of know. Uh, what it is that's holding them back, but they can't really lay a finger on how to move forward. They're kind of stuck. So, um, yeah, and and 
I love to do it in performance. So, uh, you know, whether it's performance in business or in, 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 in sport, you know, whether it's tennis, golf, cricket, uh, I really enjoy that. Those are probably, again, more individual sports, uh, but I, I do like working with teams as well. It's really interesting you spoke about how you can predict how well someone's going to play. It's that instinctive sort of superpower that you have. And it just cast me back to I was recently listening to Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. And I think it's uh, Vic Braden who used to be able to predict that someone was going to double fault and he didn't know how. He just knew it from experience, from knowledge. And it sounds very similar to you that you've just got this instinctive no, probably because of the thousands of hours of of playing tennis, seeing all those points from other people and your, yourself. You can see the patterns that are people are blind to themselves. Yeah. And, and of course, I've got those blind spots myself you know, and I'm, I'm working on them. Uh, but you do, you can see through the body language, you can kind of tell. Um, and I think you don't, ha- you don't have to be a tennis player to spot them when you're watching a tennis match. Um, it's sort of basic human behavior. You can see when the player kind of drops their head after they made a mistake and they, they walk over and you think oh, they're just not in the right mindset to, to win this. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, I wouldn't say that I'm great at predicting, you know, maybe I, <laughs> I'm definitely not in, into gambling, but uh, you do, you do, as you say, you see the patterns and, um, you know, maybe sometimes you, you, you don't get it quite right, but hopefully more often than not, you, you get it right. But I think it's that, um, you know, we've got these mirror neurons that we, we see other people's facial expressions. We see their behavior and you can tell where it's coming from. And like you say, yeah, the, you know, the, the, he talks about the thousand hours, but um, I guess as a coach with, um, you know, 20 plus years of, of experience and then also playing experience, um, you see those reactions, you, you see the facial expressions, you see the body language, and then hopefully that'll help you to predict uh, correctly most of the time. And I think that's what I was getting at earlier when I was, I, I see this maturity at an early age come through from, from that you could build on you, the, all of those incredible experiences being young and, and that those match points and the 17 points of, of that you sort of said you squandered being age 16. I mean, that's a huge learning for someone of that age. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much you learn from sport uh and it's not about winning or it's about life skills uh, you know it's about reading people it's you know tennis can be a negotiation uh, at, at a younger age you have to call your own lines you know so that gives people opportunity to be dishonest if they want to be and then how are you going to react uh and so yeah there is a lot of learning uh, but you know, young professionals at the age of 17, 18, they, they're traveling the world, then they learn other things from that as well. Um, but it's also the, the ability to reflect on what you were thinking at that time and how that thinking was holding you back and then thinking, right, how can I change this to make this more beneficial? I remember being on the tour as probably about 20 years old and 
seeing these clay court players obviously moved maybe not that obvious but they moved really well on clay and i and i never played on clay as, in south africa and um then i would make assumptions about how good they would be uh, how good they would play if, if i had to face them and and i realized that that was not good so i'd go and watch a match and I'd go, wow this guy can really move how am i going to get a ball past him and then then i realized that this isn't good so then change that thinking and then i had to say to myself well i've got this other friend of mine who i regularly beat in practice and he's done really well against them on play and um so why why shouldn't i have a, a chance to play so it's sort of changing the way you think because there's no benefit in going onto the court thinking that you're inferior you know to another player and th th this is the interesting bit because when i um started my business coaching um and i was actually coaching a, a player david langford he was the dean at york university and also started the business school oxford brooks um a coaching school he said to me the way i taught him about the serve had so many elements of executive coaching in it we just had a half an hour lesson on the serve where i, I sort of said well you're a badminton player you've got this amazing wrist snap let's apply that to your serve so you're trying to take things from what people already can do and apply it in a slightly different angle in a different field and building on those strengths and and that's when he actually said to me have you ever thought of going into that type of coaching and uh, and then we sat down and had a coffee afterwards and i thought yeah i mean he, he's onto something here i love working on the mindset I, I love working on that high level and it you know it can be sport it can be business and um and that's where my journey really started uh you know on the executive coaching uh, you know i got qualification through emcc and uh but you you often need people like that in your life don't you that can spot something and inspire you to to go down a certain route and it was at a very important stage for me because uh you know i've been coaching for a very long time in tennis and i was getting feeling like i needed something different and and, and then my daughter said to me one morning and, and again it's just a sort of a comment just a throwaway comment I said, but we have a choice in life don't we we can do whatever we want to and i thought to myself yeah i have this choice you know i've been coaching tennis and i want to you know go on to a new path what's stopping me from doing this you know and you you have the financial insecurity sometimes and then you know it was uh, definitely a factor for us but um you know i'd, I'd make that change and uh, and, I, and i'll never look back but uh, it's interesting when you, you you need somebody sometimes to just give you a nudge and, and then you need to sit down and, and and work it out and so yeah that's that, that's where i ended up where i am now and uh, you know there are other people that's uh, given me opportunities uh, to work with their their team etc and, and and it all helps uh and but it's, it's actually just seeing those cues at the right time and, and, and making a decision and um and putting your mind to it, I guess, and having the resilience took a lot of late nights, <laughs> but uh, it's worth it. And what do you think prompted your daughter to say, but we have a choice? Did you feel you didn't? I think I, I don't even know if she knew what she was making a comment on. 
but it was, uh, you know, I was probably saying, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And she just said, well, we ha- you, you have a choice. You know, it, the choice is yours. And I think I was thinking at that time, I have to do this for my children. And I have to keep doing this. I have to keep doing that. You know, get them to the university, get them. And, and she was sort of making me think, oh, no, no, I don't have to take this path. I have a choice. Um, it's it's that sort of feeling of you've you've done something for a, a lot of years and you you get a little bit stuck in a rut and you think that's the only way, and then somebody just needs to give you a bit of a nudge to to say no, let's try something different. And um, but it it was it was great that it was then there for me because I was already doing mindset coaching, uh, and then it was just slightly changing track a little bit going into the executive coaching side. And the purpose piece, how does that fit into everything, Marius? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I looked at my Talent Predicts profile and um, it, my, my career drivers is personal growth, developing people, ambition and service. So I always think, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of learning. I love learning. I love learning new things, um, and that self development area as well. And and there's kindness and positivity. But I think if you say to me why why have I chosen tennis? Why have I chosen coaching? I do like to help other people, and I do like to improve. I'm quite um, resilience is up there as well. But I've got a lot of perseverance. And I think, um, yeah, uh, growing up, um, I was brought up in, in a fairly religious family. I think for me, there was always a higher goal. You know, I, um, it was never a short-term materialistic view. It was, it was more, you know, there's more to it. And, and that, that makes things easier because it's not all about the here and the now. You don't have to achieve here and now it there's, there's there's a bigger goal and and then you bring in other things uh you know aligned with your values and your purpose like um you know kindness um uh, positivity um you know honesty uh and i think those are the things that sort of keep you on track as to where you want to go and, and and your decisions are all aligned with that but i never thought it was a very conscious decision to Yes, I'm going to do sport for a living. Yes, I'm going to become a coach. And now I'm going to help other people with their mindset and in, in business and in sport. I think it's, it sort of naturally happened. It was quite interesting because I did this uh, Talent Predicts assessment recently. And, and all the elements were there. You know, all the, the developing people, you know, number two. And personal growth at number one and it's just sort of you realize that you are obviously in the right area coaching others to become better so one would argue that the profile was a reflection of what you've been doing but you're almost looking at that profile assessment as a reassurance that you're doing the right thing <laughs> yeah you can say that you can say that um I just I was just interested because I, I I know the question you were going to ask me is why, and so why did you do all this? And um, yeah, so 
in a way, what I'm what I'm saying is, uh, you know, you, you you're just following a path, uh, and you almost intuitively know where you should be uh, over time. Uh, and I think some people really plan everything, you know, to the last um, sort of granule. But um, I don't think I set out to plan any of this. Um, I just followed my kind of intuition as as a youngster. I always wanted to play sport. I didn't think in, in South Africa, s sport wasn't really viewed as a profession those days. Uh, and um, so I followed that. When I started doing well in the tennis, I, I did that for a living. And then I started doing the coaching after that because I thought I'd really enjoy teaching other people. And then, uh, and now in the, in, in the business coaching sphere. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know the, you know, as you know, that, that question, why, why are we here? Why, you know, we we're all still looking for the answer, but, um, I think there's definitely been a purpose for me in, in, in what I was doing. There was always a reason to try and go down this path and, and help others and, and do it as well as you can. And I love the fact that you've been open about that there wasn't a particular plan, that you've just pursued what you loved doing. And when I'm talking, I, I, I sort of advocate a have a purpose, have a plan and focus on why. Yes. And, and that evolves, that changes as you go along. There probably might have, well, I don't know, you said there wasn't a plan, but was, was there a, a moment to moment decision or did you have sort of, longer term goals maybe a year plan yes at, at points yeah no i am um, and, I, and i i do like reading up on self-help books I've, I've i've read a lot of those so there was obviously a lot of thinking but i can remember when i came on the tour i, I said to myself uh, i'm going to be top 100 in doubles and top 50 in um, sorry top top 50 in doubles and top 100 in singles within two years and if i'm not then I'm going to go back and study architecture. That was, and it took me five and a bit years to get to top 50 in doubles. So, so yeah, there, there was a plan. There's, there was always a vision. I, I'm, I'm very good at visualizing. And um, I wouldn't say it was the, the visualizing was focused on a, a plan as such, not something that I stipulate, but I wanted to see myself playing in a certain way. I wanted to see myself doing certain things. Yeah, I, was, uh, I, I used to spend quite a lot of time seeing that, even before matches, but also long-term. You know, I wanted to be a servant volleyer. So, you know, even though I wasn't the, the speediest guy around the court, I had good volleys and I wanted to get to the net. And that's what I love doing, diving around the net, picking up volleys. Uh, so, yeah, there, there was a lot of sort of visual planning, in, in a sense. Um, and, and I used to make notes as well, but I didn't try to map up. And I, I certainly, at the age of 19, didn't say to myself, why am I going to follow this? But, um, you know, I, and this was actually quite a good exercise for me to start thinking about that. So um, I can definitely see the benefit in asking that question, why? Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, you said that now the 
the whole sport has, has evolved and you, you've got a, a 25 year career because of the entourage that you have and people like Djokovic and Federer have been able to sustain it over a longer period because of the support that they've had. And that has definitely evolved with the sport that has, and a lot of that has been mental support as well as the physical support. So yes, you know, you probably had half a, a career that they've had in terms of timeline, but in your, in your scope, that was what was kind of the thing and, and expected. And to, yeah, the body does say enough is enough at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's um, probably one of the reasons why from, you know, doing 30 hours on court coaching, um, I, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to sustain that. And, um, you know, as I'm sort of um, 53 now, uh, I need needed to, to, to make a shift. And it was interesting because those players, as you mentioned, the entourage, uh, we did it on our own from, you know, coming from, I know a lot of Australian South Africans coming from faraway places, you have to do it on your own. And um, not many players had traveling coaches with them. Sometimes they would club together two or three guys and, and have a, a hitting partner or a coach. And uh, yeah, so, so you didn't always have that insight. I was fortunate. I had a coach over here who helped me in Britain, but yeah, it is very different if you have that whole team behind you and, and can work on the, on the physical side, the stretching and the, the physios and, and, and all of that. Um, but I think when you do it on your own, you also learn other lessons that you might not learn as a, as a team, as a, you're operating in, in a team. Um, but then you think also, if you did operate in a team, maybe with a little bit of help here, maybe with a little bit of help there, you could have done better. So um, it, it is interesting how that has evolved. Players are playing longer. They're having a, a bigger support team around them. So having read the inner game and then literally that month later, as you said, you transported yourself to junior Wimbledon. What would be the lesson to that version of Mar Marius now? Looking back, you, you realize how important the mental side of the game is. And for performance, uh, how important it is to be in the moment. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting was being non-judgmental. We, we, we are not um, trained to be non-judgmental. It's something that we do from a very young age. Everything we look at, we judge. We say, is that good or bad? Is that, is, is that a good fashion? Is that a good label? And it's really helped my performance to, to be more non-judgmental and just observe and, and, and see what is happening. How can I improve this? So yeah, the importance of the mental side, if you look at back at that for performance. Uh, also, I, I learned quite at a young age how to control my emotions uh, because uh, not getting overexcited when you have to perform. Um, in fact, I think <laughs> I've learned as a professional tennis player how to switch my emotions off in a way or, or anyway, managing, managing them or dampening them. 
and, uh, and I feel now I want to switch them a little bit more on again, because uh, as a coach or as a, a you know an executive coach, it's good to to sense those emotions from from other people. Um, so yeah, but I, I think at that time in my life, I probably didn't realize the importance of it, and I also didn't realize that how pivotal that was because that got my interest into psychology. And, um, you know, only afterwards did I realize that your path was kind of taken a different turn at that point. You know, if I, if I, if I not done well, I can remember distinctly only once that I said, I'm going to hang my, my, my tennis racket up when I had a bad loss. And, and again, about a week after that, I had one of my best performances. So, um, it, it, it's strange how you go through these low points it almost prepares you for your next good performance and it's it's often to do with going into the next um match or you know whatever it is in your life uh with less expectations and just letting it happen rather than uh when you're trying too hard then you don't get the results you know it's a sort of surfing the waves rather than trying to force the situation and it's interesting because you said about sort of dialing down or, or switching off these emotions but they are there to serve you to give you these lessons so it's it's a case of that not all all emotions are are good in in because they're giving you feedback yes uh, they definitely they they give you feedback and it's it's good to have them afterwards but when you're trying to perform uh it it's not great especially to have the emotional swing up and down um so um yeah it's it's um i think sometimes i'm still in performance mode you know and that that's why i'm saying i want to uh you know switch them more on again which which i have done but um yeah i find it interesting that uh, it's you know if you look at uh, a lot of the players now you can see on their face that they that they do sometimes just they go into the zone and then the, that emotional swing up and down won't be as strong yeah, well, there's certainly been some emotional tennis players over the years, that's for sure. Yeah, and the crowd loves them, you know, <laughs> because they can see what's going on in their minds. But uh, it's it's not always great for performance. No, I can see that. You, you see is... a lot of players, sorry, uh, uh, doing that after the tournament. You know, you see Federer when he gets emotional after a big win. And then you just realize how much they've actually put in to get to that point. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a fantastic spectator sport as much as it is a, a a playing sport. It really is something that you can get involved into the the psyche of the of what's going on on the court. It's it's a brilliant sport. Maris, I could speak for hours about sport. It is one of my favorite things in the world, as as is this podcast. So thank you so much for sharing why you do what you do and why you are who you are on the show. How would people reach out and connect to find out a bit more about positive intelligence and, and the work that you're doing in, from an executive coaching perspective? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and also my website, mariasbarnard.com. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be happy to uh, to speak to anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about those areas. Just just contact me, and I'll and I'll get back to them. Fabulous, thank you, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have some final words, please? No, I, I just want to thank you for um, 
getting me on here today. And uh, I think the, the asking that question why is is such a really good question. And you probably know that in the coaching uh, sphere, sometimes we are asked not to ask that question why, because we we don't want to get defensive. But but here it's really about sort of projecting forward and thinking where am I going to go from here and, and, and why am I doing it? So uh, it's, it's been a really good time for me actually to, to ask that question. And it's opened up a few, a few uh, areas that I, that I would, would like to look at. So um, thank you for, for asking me why. And uh, when I get the answer, <laughs> I'll come back to you and let you know what the, the best answer is to that question. Thank you. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.